You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, uh, this is another day and another day of the Milwaukee Bucks coaching search. And I I think this is pretty much a, a preview of the next few weeks of our life right like i feel like we're going to continue recording a very similar podcast uh because they'll they'll probably probably be another person coming in and interviewing on the day that we're recording and then the day after there'll be another person interviewing and then that'll just keep going until the bucks are through all of their candidates and well then i guess some of those people will come in for second interviews and we'll do all of that again. Uh, and then we'll, we'll probably have a coach. Uh, so, and, and then Stacy Ogman will be named head coach. So. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Josh Brockhammer. We'll see. Um, so uh, by, by the way, um, I, I don't know if you saw my tweet today, but, um, you know, Joe Prunty's taken so much crap from people. Um, and, I mean, including, I mean, I've certainly criticized him to, to a fair bit. Um, but I feel like it's sort of run amok. I feel like the Prunty bashing kind of went went over the line a bit, a bit in the playoffs. Again, not to defend some of the Bucks' tactics or rotations. Ooh, um, I will. I will. But, Outside of Game 7, I will defend most of what Joe Prunty did in that series. Um, but let me just say, Joe Prunty probably will never be a head coach again. Right. I think that would that would be surprising if he was a head coach again. Um, and so he will he will likely finish his NBA head coaching career with a 568 winning percentage, which puts him ahead of such luminaries as Brad Stevens. Boom. Mike D'Antoni. Bam. Rick, Rick Carlisle, which surprised me. That's what's me. up. Um, Dwayne Casey, which maybe doesn't Prunty, sound as impressive. Y'all. Because because Dwayne Casey just got his ass eliminated from the playoffs tonight. Um, uh, Quinn Snyder, bango. Also, uh, and I think there may have been a couple other uh, guys. But basically, Joe like hype man, what up? Everybody you think of, like other than Pop, uh, basically uh, has a worse career winning percentage than Joe Prunty. So take that. Uh, they got their work cut out for him. They got it. Everybody's chasing Joe Prunty, um, <laughs> and uh, shout out to Joe Prunty. So uh, so th- there's that. Um, also, uh, hey, the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors had. I, th- I think the Raptors had a worse. Uh, yeah, they had a worse playoff winning percentage than the Bucks did. So, the Bucks outplaying their old nemesis, uh, the, the Raptors in the playoffs. After uh, the uh, the they got a, a really a, a nice taste of LeBron, which um, was pretty fun to watch. 
pretty fun to watch. Do, do we want? But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm by the way. At any time, I'm happy to do a detour to talk about other playoff series. I sure. feel like we, we we're probably obligated to talk about the Bucks first, which at this point is really obviously just the coaching search. Um, but part of me is also it. sort of that's fine. Let's part, go. Part of part of me is also sort of wary of like. What if the Bucks take a month and a half to pick a head, <laughs> pick a head coach? <laughs> we're gonna just like spend every day like, you know, it'll it'll be it'll be like it'll start to get really grim, and we're gonna we're gonna feel like, um, well, I, I'm guessing I'm guessing you never watched the TV show Lost, but I was gonna draw a comparison uh, between us and the character Desmond, who spends every day punching a code into a machine so that the world doesn't end, um, and so I, I feel like if if is that Bucks a spoiler can. alert? Are spoiler alerts allowed? Is that fine? Yeah, this show's been over for like you know, uh, not quite a decade, but um, okay. a long time. So I feel, I feel like it's kosher. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it, it could get uh, it could get pretty bleak if every day we're checking in on the Bucks coaching search and it just won't end. But um, I don't know what. Let, let's make a prediction. Give me your 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 over under date for when the Bucks pick a head coach. Hmm. Uh, let me look at a calendar. I'm going to go with, man, and I, I feel like you want to get your work done before Memorial Day, don't you? Like, you don't want to be in the office on Memorial Day. I think it goes a little bit longer than that, though. Um, let's go with uh, two and a half weeks or so. Let's go with May 31st, Thursday, May 31st. All right, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the optimist. I'm gonna say uh, May 24th. Ooh! So basically, get a dumb like, Memorial Day weekend. And gives them like, enjoy yeah, it. gives them gives them like two weeks, and then you come back and do like some second, second or third or eighth round interviews, and then you've got an extra couple days for Wes Edens to uh, come in and nuke the finalist list, and and uh, and have Stacey Ogman ride in on the white horse with uh, with an ill fitting suit. So there we go. <laughs> You cannot stop roasting Stacey Ogman. You're addicted. I, I, can't, I can't stop slandering uh, a, a very nice person in Stacey Ogman. That's just the kind of crappy person I am. So there we go. All right. Sounds good. Um, okay. So detour. What do you want to talk about with the Raptors? Uh, they're going to blow it all up? Uh, I mean, it, first off, they have a, I mean, they have a lot of young talent on that roster. And then they have like Serge Ibaka who like, I mean, nobody, I mean, who wants to give Serge Ibaka $20 million a year? anybody i don't know um and and so i think the the interesting thing is like what do you i mean what do you do with really the question for me is what do you do with Dwayne casey kyle lowry and demar Derozan? and lowry actually i mean i was looking at his numbers i, I was like i just assumed that he was bad this playoff series but i wasn't paying attention he actually shot the ball extremely well this in this year's playoffs and he actually i mean granted i think he missed part of last year's playoffs after the first round but um, he had like a 59% true shooting last year as well. So um, Lowry isn't, I don't, I mean, I think generally like our view is it has always been that Lowry was, you know, like not really the problem there. And DeRozan, as much as he made some improvements, I mean, he basically shot a Giannis percentage from three this year. I think that was, that was overblown. And uh, man, getting ejected from the fourth game in a sweep uh, in the second round for DeRozan after being benched last game i mean he is clearly the goat of uh yep. in, in a bad way lebron being the goat all caps and demar Derozan being the goat just the word goat as in the barnyard animal um man tough times for demar Derozan. but i don't know i mean what if you're masai ujiri i mean you can fire dwayne casey but like i mean do you 
can you really i mean if you blow it up like what do you even get for him right like Lowry, who I like, I mean, he, he's going to make 31 and $33 million the next two years. Like, yep. you know, like you're not going to get like a load of first round picks. So I think to me, it's just a question of, you know, do you say screw it and punt Lowry into, or sorry, punt DeRozan into the ocean or I don't know, you know, like, I mean, if the Lakers like strikeout, do they want DeMar DeRozan? I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if, I mean, I wouldn't want DeMar DeRozan he's if a I'm tough the Lakers. One. He's a really um, tough one. So I don't know. I feel like they just kind of probably run it back. I mean, they just won 59 goddamn games, you know, so on, on some level, and they have a bunch of young guys. I feel like – I don't know. I feel like the, mo- the they don't really have a lot of reasonable options, so I feel like you just run it back and just – I don't know, just grin and, you know, take it. I mean, I think the tough thing for them is LeBron holds all the cards this summer, right? Yeah. Like, good. If, if the Lakers want LeBron – which I assume they do because everyone would. Well, you're not going to prioritize helping the Raptors blow it up for DeMar DeRozan early in the summer. Like you're going to wait until you find out what LeBron does. And LeBron could wait until August. He, I mean, he can, he can do whatever he wants. Uh, so I, I think that's kind of what will be interesting because then if you're the Raptors and LeBron goes West, say he does choose the Lakers, you're not blowing it up then. LeBron's been the guy that has been embarrassing you out of the playoffs for all these years. LeBron's been your roadblock. It's gone. So run it back then. Okay, 59 games and you don't have to see LeBron? Okay, maybe you can find your way into the finals then. Like, I, I just think, it, man, the, this summer is going to be kind of bananas because uh, I just think you get yourself into a really interesting spot when – you are forced to measure yourself against LeBron every year. Um, in the West, uh, I think maybe there's – you don't feel quite as bad about it with the Warriors just because they're so incredibly unfair. Um, but, at the yeah. same, but at the same time, I guess some West teams do blow it up as well. And with the, this Raptors team is interesting just because the summer that they were kind of getting ready to blow it up, everything fell into place. Like they stumbled into, I think that that was the year they stumbled into like a 50 win team. And then it was like, okay, well this is us now. And they've ran it back and they've played well, uh, for the last that half a decade or so now at this point, almost five years. So they, they've just kind of found something and stumbled into it. But then on top of that though, there's, I mean, there's some ugly contracts on, on the bottom of that roster. I mean, I, I think about that Norm Powell contract. Like, yeah, that's not a great one. Um, that's the only good thing that came out of the Grievous Vasquez trade for the Bucks is that, you know, at least Norm Powell regressed this year and right after he got ten million dollars a year uh, from the Raptors, which ironically makes him seemingly well along with C.J. Miles, I guess, sort of the only Raptor role players that they've spent any money on, and yet he's also like the only Raptor role player who doesn't seem to play. Yeah. Um, so anyway, score one for uh, Schadenfreude uh, there with <laughs> with Norm Powell. Um, let's not talk about OG Ananobi uh, and the fact that he looks like a pretty pretty damn solid NBA player that the Bucks you know that was taken with the Bucks pick they gave up in the in the Vasquez trade. But anyway, yeah, it's just just a weird tough spot. But again, I think they're just too good to like blow up. Um, and, and again, I mean. You know, Lowry and DeRozan are, are not getting younger, but um, everybody else on that roster, well, Serge is obviously not either, but um, obviously a lot of other guys are. And, and so, you know, interesting to see what, as maybe 
one or two of those other guys sort of makes maybe another major step forward, then then maybe they become a bit more interesting. So so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I but I agree. I think the point about waiting for LeBron kind of makes sense. Um, but by the same token, I mean, you know, they haven't even been close. <laughs> nope. Not <laughs> to, 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 I mean, this, you know, again, this was maybe, I, I hesitate, to, I hesitate to say peak LeBron because I think like what, 11, 12 LeBron, I think was probably peak LeBron. He's like um, peak LeBrons. Yeah. But I mean, this is a peak LeBron and, you know, it just kind of goes to show if he can elevate, you know, when you get all these random dudes around him and they start making some threes and playing with better energy and, Obviously, Toronto, I mean, their defense, you know, this, I mean, this is a team that played defense for a long stretch of the season, but I think, you know, it kind of, I want to say after the all-star break, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think after the all-star break, it started to come apart a bit defensively for them. And, um, certainly, yeah, it, it, that definitely carried over here to, uh, to, to this playoff series against the Cavs. And again, the Cavs have firepower, but, um, also interesting, I mean, it was funny to watch garbage time of this game and you know the guys that were kind of some of the big names in uh at the trade deadline i mean the guys winning this game these games for the Cavs have not been the guys that they made all these moves for right i mean cal corver finally you know eventually kevin love kind of figuring some things out the last couple games um george hill has did actually make a nice impact tonight so he was one of those guys but you know larry nance has was basically a garbage time dunk machine tonight, but he's kind of been out of the rotation. I mean, Tristan Thompson even was, found yeah, his way back. The yeah, they leaned back into like their old identity. Yeah, it was like, and Jr. Jr. Right. was great tonight. So it, it really interesting how, um, for all the you know, the the motion. I'll use another German phrase: the Sturm and Drang of uh, of basically you know all the uh, not exactly not 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 essentially fire and fury, not not direct. <laughs> Uh, translation there um but uh but yeah for all the the commotion at the trade deadline it's kind of funny that you know it's basically lebron and sort of the og caps that got it done and man i mean with the weirdness going on in that philly boston series i mean are you gonna bet against lebron to go to the finals again be pretty tough yeah and now he's gonna get some rest too so um, and that was yeah, and I mean that was like one of the first things he said after the game was, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna get my rest now." And it's, I mean, it's all it's all coming up, LeBron, and mainly because LeBron is LeBron and just put on a show uh, this series. So yeah, I mean, I, I just think, and, and the Raptors are another interesting part of the conversation about like get what is what is the goal of having an uh, an NBA team, and I, I think most people answer that by saying championships. Right, like that's that's what it's all about. But is there something to be said about winning fifty games five years in a row, being a, a competent franchise for a decade? Like, is there is there something to be gained by holding this out for a couple more years and then getting to that, like where you are competent for a decade and putting together a, a bunch of good teams that were memorable? And I don't know. Like, I, I just think. Uh, I know we obviously follow some of the Raptors folks from last year and uh, kind of like talking through them uh, with this playoff series last year. And, you know, you just think about that team, like a 59-win team. And I I know a lot of the talk tonight from them was like, you do have to kind of remember that, you know, it is – it sucks seeing LeBron do this to the 
their team every year, but also this was a really awesome year for them. It was great. There was a lot of moments that all of them loved, and I would assume you will remember. And uh, I don't know, maybe sometimes it is hard to taint it with, well, it wasn't a ring. Like, yeah, it wasn't, but only one team wins every year. So you do have to take some joy out of winning basketball games um, in other spots and and not blow it up. So I, I don't know. This is it's going to be interesting for them uh, because they keep running into the same roadblock and it doesn't go any different any of the times that they do it. So we'll see what they do. Um, all right. Back to the Bucks. What they were up to. Wait, can we can Sorry. we just can we just say one more thing? Um, I haven't really been watching the uh, the Warriors Pelican series, um, but as 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 a few of you may know, a few of you may know. I think Eric, I've shared this with you at some point privately. I don't know if I've ever shared this on the pod, but my wife is from Houston, is a Rockets fan, and um, very interesting. Houston losing game two. You know, everybody's sort of looking for signs of 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 Houston maybe bobbling. Will the sort of D'Antoni slash Harden slash Chris Paul playoff hoodoo strike again? Um, and man, I watched all of the uh, Friday night just manhandling where they won by third. Well, I don't know if they actually. I think it was they won by like twenty one or something. But you know they were winning by thirty eight at one point in the third quarter in Utah, which was, I mean, the crowd was electric and the Rockets just came out and just dominated from the start. Capella has been fantastic and uh, I mean looking at you know uh, you know again Harden hasn't been like 45 point every night Harden but just gets it done Paul just kills from as I mean his mid-range game it's funny that you know you talk about his mid-range game clashing with sort of the the Mori ball style but it's been such an a useful release valve against the Rudy Gobert pick and roll where clearly Gobert, you know, is not comfortable uh, having to defend Chris Paul one-on-one and yep. um, man, just, just been really impressed. I mean, Utah has impressed me as well. Um, I think, you know, when for a team like the Bucks that obviously is not uh, anywhere close to like the, you know, warrior rockets level to see like, what teams like New Orleans, what teams like Utah um, I mean, even Boston and Philly, right? What those teams have done sort of late in the season and into the playoffs and winning series. Um, I think you have to look at that. And, and if you're the Bucks, say like, well, wh- why can't we do something like that? You know, why, why are, why are all the good times, uh, you know, only for, for those teams, which talent wise are, are not like light years ahead of the Bucks or maybe at, at all ahead of the Bucks. Um, but man, Houston just knows what they are and, Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. There's no doubt what role everybody's playing. And, I mean, the way they have they come together defensively and offensively has just been so impressive. I mean, this is this was the sixth-ranked defense in the league this year, which, again, probably not a lot of people expected when Mike D'Antoni was hired. But the switchability of, of Tucker, Bamute, and Capella is just such a crazy weapon to have um, in, in a playoff series. And um, Capella has just been so fun to watch. Last night at the end of the game, when he just – kept blocking shots yep. to kind of you know when the with the game was you know at that point kind of out of reach and the the jazz kept driving and, and just kept getting swatted by capella it was just a lot of fun and and certainly again like i feel like all the utah people on my timeline on twitter have been continuously trying to sort of discredit capella because he plays with paul and and harden but um hey i know that they're salty because you know utah fans all want like gobert to get more respect and and all that and, 
Gobert's great, but um, man, Capella, whatever you want to attribute it to, yes, he fits great with those guys, but he's just a damn good basketball player. I mean, you know, especially defensively, what he's been able to do, um, just really impressive on, on both ends. Yeah, and I think as you kind of went through all those teams and you talk about that series and you you look at postseason success and this is at times something that I think is hard to define, but I think what underlies all of those teams is identity. They know exactly what they are. And I just think back to this season hearing – so many times, oh, you know, we, the whoever maybe, whether it's Jason Kidd or Joe Pronte, you know, everything for us gets started on the defensive end. No, you're a crappy defensive team. <laughs> You've been terrible there this entire year. And yet, that was what their identity was. And if your identity is placed in something that you are very clearly not, everything just, just goes to shit when one little thing goes wrong. Like if all of a sudden they are not going to be able to uh, get a few stops, then all of a sudden the offense isn't flowing in the same way. Like, and there's only been so many times where the defense was actually going. And when you saw them in the playoffs in, in games three through six, largely they were playing good defense because they had a defensive scheme that made sense and they were executing it. And then that flowed into the offense. And all of a sudden they, won three out of four games and were able to score successfully against the best defensive team in the league and they were able to hold down the Celtics who again didn't have a ton of offensive options uh, but you know they were able to limit all those things and everything made sense because they knew who they were and they knew how they were playing the game and I just think that's so prevalent across any of these teams when you watch any of these teams that are having success they know what they are and they know the things that they need to execute and the things that they can execute. More importantly to me is the things that they can execute, they do execute. And to me, that vision for the Bucks has just been off for the last probably three years. Like they, they just don't they, – they weren't playing basketball that made sense for them. Like, and, and again, we're about to talk about something with this, uh, and it was a question you brought up last night, but – if you're not good on defense, you're not a defensive team. So does that mean you have to lean into being an offensive team? Not necessarily, but it would probably help. Like you should probably find ways to find even more success offensively because you can't get the job done defensively, or you should change things defensively. So you, you can execute defensively, even if you're not causing lots of turnovers, even though, even if things aren't the best they could absolutely be, but as long as they're good, then the offense makes more sense. Like you just need to have a, a comprehensive vision that makes sense and that's been lacking in Milwaukee for three years and when you watch this playoffs those are the teams that have success the teams that know what they are are the teams that have success in the playoffs and that dovetails with the coaching search and the questions that hopefully presumably are being asked of potential coaches right like what what should the identity of this team be and um you know I guess I'm guessing a lot of it seems I'm kind of curious how many coaches would not say we're going to be a defensive team and hang our hat on that because it seems like everybody that that's like the moral answer <laughs> to that question. Yep. Like it's almost like you know 
I don't know. It goes against like everybody's sensibilities to to you not. You can't say pay. you're gonna be good on offense. Yeah, like it, it almost has to. It's like paying lip service to. Uh, you have to at least pay lip service to being defense first, right? Because that's like the hardworking thing to do. Yep. Um, and I think you know this this question of for the Bucks, like where 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 can you improve the most? I think is an interesting question because. Um, you know, I tweeted this out the other day. I mean, the Bucks this year, um, seventh in offensive rating per NBA.com. That's better than any Brad Stevens team has ever been. I think Brad Stevens once had an eighth-ranked team. I think they were below average this year. Um, and it just, again, it underscores if you have a bunch of bucket getters who are talented. I mean, you know. They will get buckets. Giannis is a 60% true shooting guy. Middleton, I think this year was close to 58%. Bledsoe, I think was 58%. I mean, again, like we can complain about these guys to varying extents and how they complement one another, whatever. But ultimately, your top three usage guys go out and score at really efficient rates. And you know, as much as the other guys on this team have struggled to varying points, um, that you're going to score a lot of points if you have guys who go out and get buckets and. Um, most teams obviously don't have that. And, and so, again, offense is an area where, you know, if you've got talent, you're probably not going to be bad. You know, like you're going to – players tend to figure out offense in ways that I don't think they figure out defense. And so it's interesting. You know, again, the Bucks this year, seventh in, in offense. And I, I thought of this question as we were, I was listening to, to you and, and Eric talk uh, on the coach's pod. And, I'm, you know, Eric made a comment about feeling like – he felt like, and again, I don't know the exact quote, but it was something effective, like basically feeling like there was more sort of upside in, in getting kind of a more offensive coach. And, you know, I was looking at it and just sort of, I don't know. First off, I reject the idea of just like, oh, go out and find, you know, a stopgap for your offense or your defense. You know, and, and again, this part of this weighs on me is, is the D'Antoni experience. You know, the, the Rockets could have said, let's go get a defensive coach to try to just plug that gap. But instead, they said, let's go get an offensive coach who, like, absolutely can just supercharge our best player and maximize him and maximize everything around him. And obviously, it's worked to tremendous effect. And, oh, they've actually started to play defense as well. Um, and I think for the Bucks, you know, you look at them again. They're last year about 108 points per 100 per NBA.com. Um, you know, Warriors and, and Rockets were a little over 112 each. Um, Raptors and, and Wolves, actually right around 111 so i think those are kind of the bogeys there right like there's maybe like three points per 100 that you can say well why can't we be as good as the wolves and raptors right i'm not going to say you're going to go out and be as good as the rockets or warriors but why why not why can't you be as good as the wolves and raptors the wolves don't shoot threes the wolves i mean have wiggins inefficiently chucking as much as anybody on that team you know why not right um so there's maybe like three points of upside in offense versus defense where obviously there's I think a lot more you know I mean no shock here I think there's probably a lot more kind of upside to be had and if you look at the Bucks defense you know they ultimately finish uh, let's see 17th um, a little over 107 points per 100 and you know if you'd say well what's what's a reasonable bar um, you know Toronto was 5th they were 103.4 but then things get kind of spread out a little bit. Spurs were fourth at 102.4. So let's say you get greedy and say, well, why can't we be the Spurs? Okay, and I realize that's you know maybe being a bit of a stretch. But hey, you're interviewing 
all of the Spurs <laughs> coaches and everybody who works for them, you might as well say, why can't we be you? Um, so if you do that, you say, well, that that's 4.7 points per 100 of upside. So a bit, a bit more. But, you know, it's not a crazy amount, not to the extent where you'd say, well, the, you know, the Bucks are the worst defensive team in the league and the best offense and there's only upside on defense and none on offense, right? Obviously, that's not the case, even though the Bucks were no, notably better offensively than defensively. But I think it is a very interesting question. And, and again, I, I think the best coach, if you're trying to go find the best coach and you think that you hire one of the best coaches, then I don't think you can afford to think like, oh, we're hiring an offensive guy or something like that. Correct. I think... You know, I, I think Stevens, Quinn Snyder, um, Spolstra, you know, again, like a lot of those guys in a lot of ways, like you look at what they've done with their teams and they've been, especially in recent years, they've been more successful defensively. But that's really more a function of the fact that they haven't had superstar talent rather than they're not good offensive coaches, in my mind at least. Um, and, and so I think, again, that sort of underscores good coaches when they don't have superstars they figure out ways to make it work defensively and, and get by offensively. But again, I think if you gave, you know, you give, you know, I, I can't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the Miami heat under Spolster with LeBron and D Wade had, were no they good? No, points. no, <laughs> they, they did everything. Well, um, <laughs> and so, you know, again, I, I think that's, I, so I, again, not saying this is like a very prescriptive thing for the bucks, but I think it's just an important thing to not look through that lens too narrowly as you think through this coaching stuff. Um, you want the coach to fix the defense, but you also want that coach to bring in better, newer, more interesting ideas offensively because there's clearly room to improve there as well. So I don't know. What say you, Eric? I just droned on for a while as, as I usually do. No, I think what's interesting is I think at the core of the idea is, and again, we'd have to – this it's almost impossible to to test this hypothesis, but there is, I think, to me at least, some belief deep inside me that in the NBA, a great coach can exert more control over a defense than it can an offense. Like there, you you can really find a, a way to become an elite defense if you coach your guys up right, if you have them in a smart scheme if you make sure that they're executing all of their assignments, like you can create uh, an elite defense, I think. And when you look at some of the defenses that have had those guys that you've talked about or from those coaches that you've talked about, like they've created pretty damn good defenses and there hasn't been a, a freak show in the middle of it kind of taking care of it. Like obviously in Utah, they have Rudy Gobert doing that, but like there's been plenty of times where – like a LeBron-led defense hasn't been great, and you think, oh, my, you have this incredible this incredible tool. Like, that should be the case, and it's really more about kind of what that coach can do and uh, what they can get to execute there. And I just think to get to that upper echelon of, of offense, you need that star player. And even, like you said, so for defense, say the Spurs are your goal, they played without Kawhi Leonard for almost this entire season. Who's the Spurs' best defensive player? Danny Green? DeJount, yeah, DeJounte Murray's good. Danny Danny Green. But yeah, there's no like there's no central defensive force. There's no Giannis on that roster. There's without, an 80-year-old Paul fourth. Gasol. There's an 80-year-old Tony Parker. LaMarcus Aldridge's on the squad. Like Those are guys that are bad defensive players. And somehow they were the fourth most efficient defense. 
or the uh, they held teams to the fourth least efficient offense. But like that's just that to me again that speaks to what a coach can do defensively. I just don't think you can't get to that upper echelon offensively without a, a great creator or multiple very good creators and. I just think you need that. Uh, you need those hyper-efficient weapons that can kind of take control. And, and just looking at, I mean, even to get down to the Bucks at 7th at 107.8, Golden State Warriors, their entire roster, Rockets, Harden, and then all of the shooters, Raptors, Lowry and DeRozan, Timberwolves, Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Cleveland, LeBron, Denver, Jokic and a bunch of shooters and then the Bucks like you already listed off all those guys like no matter how good you scheme it up if you don't have those guys that can go out there and do something offensively it's it's going to be difficult and I, I think that's why I, I understand why people are are down on the Bucks and feel hopeless with the Bucks like I I totally get it I've covered the team now for four years. I've lived in Wisconsin almost the entirety of my life. Uh, so I get it. Like I understand thinking the Bucks could screw this up, but I watched a lot of Bucks games last year. And as I've said on this podcast before, I think they had a bottom five schemed offense and a bottom five schemed defense. And if you wanted to make an argument for – both of them being even closer to the bottom, I think I'd probably allow you to make it. Like, there's a ton of upside on both sides of the ball for this team just by simply not running actively bad schemes. Like, I just think, like, I, to think of this team as a team that can win 50 games next season, like that doesn't seem crazy to me. That seems reasonable to me that this is a team that should win 50 games and they should have won 50 games this year, but they were schemed so poorly that they couldn't do it. Yeah. And this, obviously we've talked a lot about this, the, the kind of, I think the myth of like narrow, the, the myth of like teams having really narrow sort of possible outcomes. Like I, and I forget if we talked about it, but I remember hearing Howard Beck, who I normally like Howard Beck, but Howard Beck was on, um, I think it was the Bill Michael show and it was, this was after he did his story on, on Jason Kidd, And, you know, like he was saying just something like, Oh, I just don't, I just didn't see, I just, you know, some people talking about, a, I just didn't see a 50 win team in this, in this roster, in this roster, something to that effect. It's just like it, they won 44 games and like had just a train wreck of like a coaching season. And like, what, like <laughs> it was so like, hard for me to imagine this team only winning as many games as they did. Like, like that what? was harder and, for me than a fifty-win team, right? And it's like the thing we always come back to. It's like the 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 Nick Friedel like ignorant issue, ignorance issue of like, oh, they're just not talented enough. So this team like just could never play above average defense. Like this roster is just doomed there's, to be a bottom no third world. defense. No world. There's no world. Yeah, there's no world crazy. where this team plays like tenth is tenth in defense and still seventh in offense. And has you know a plus three or four point differential or something like that. I mean, I, I just it, it's just like so. I just don't know how you can sort of just like sit back and sort of just look at what this team was good at and look at what this team was bad at and think about all the sort of like handicaps it 
put on its put on itself throughout the season through coaching and uh, and just you know various BS. And I mean, obviously, like not having more than one point guard for the last most of the last two months of the season also was yeah, was injuries. a major issue. I mean, injuries too. They have bad injury um, luck this year. And I mean, granted, I mean, you know, obviously, you can say a lot of teams have injuries, and they didn't have injuries to Giannis or Chris, which is you know, like the most important possible thing, right? I mean, granted, Giannis may have been less than 100% for long stretches, but he played, you know, in the vast majority of games. Um, so, yeah, it's, man, it, it I don't know. It, it is it's kind of one of those things. And again, it's not like we're saying just lock up this roster for the rest of the time and, you know, championships will follow. Like, clearly there's work that has to be done here and decisions that have to be made about guys coming up on, you know, expiring salaries and all things like that. But, that doesn't mean that, you know, the short-term answer of, like, what this team was last year or could be next year is, you know, between 43 and 46 games. <laughs> I just want to see them. <laughs> which is, like, which is like what, like, okay, like, you know, Indiana, what did we think Indiana was and what did Indiana end up being? And do we really think Indiana is suddenly, like, you know, that much clearly better of a team that you know oh like i don't know it's just i just it's wanna... just annoying I, I just i just think that people i think people underestimate and, and i don't even think coaching necessarily makes i don't think coach you know like an average coach to what the bucks had like i'm not saying that swings the team like 10 games or something like that but i, I just think people under underestimate sort of like the how much swing there can be between good outcomes and bad outcomes for teams and yeah. when teams sort of figure stuff out when teams just never figure stuff out and, and I think we see that every year. Like some teams wildly overachieve, some teams wildly underachieve. And um, again, I mean, the Celtics another good example. And I know we want to give like act like Brad Stevens is like an extraterrestrial for what he's done slash doing. But I, I don't know. I mean, again, I, I I don't think we need to act like Brad Stevens like invented a new sport either, right? I mean, nope. you know, fundamentally they took some pretty good players and got way more out of them than uh, than maybe they should have expected. And and hell, the Bucks still you know, we're damn close to, to beating them in the first round of the playoffs. So and, and I'm anyway. I'm very much not a cult of the coach type of person. Like I, I've saw that a couple people ask question like if you could pick any player or Brad Stevens, who would you pick? Well, yeah, that was stupid. Any player. If you could pick Giannis or Brad Stevens Giannis. Like yeah. what, what are we talking about? Like this is just a silly thing to bring up. So I, I'm not a cult of the coach guy. Um, and I think once you get to the, again, we talk about the coaching blob and then the good coaches, right? Uh, I, I, do I need to put a, a trademark on that for Steve Von Horn? Um, I think if so, I do, yeah. uh, SVH gotcha. S- uh, SVH trademark blob. Yeah. Uh, but that's very much how this exists. And I think once you get to that top, like you mentioned, you rattle off a bunch at the start of it, right? Like Quinn Snyder, uh, Brad Stevens, Eric Spolstra, Greg Popovich, like those are all guys that are going to actively help their teams. And then I think there's a spot in the blob where there's a do no harm kind of area. And then there's a spot where I think the Bucks have been certainly for this entire season and maybe for parts of the last two, the two seasons previous where they were actively being hurt by bad schemes. Like I just want to feel like this team isn't being hurt by their coach. They don't even necessarily need to be helped by their coach. Like, I just want to feel like they're not hurt. And that's what it felt like for the last couple of seasons. Like, I felt as helpless watching this team 
as I assume Thon Maker felt as he was asked to show and recover. Like, this isn't going to work, coach. I'm in the middle. <laughs> I, the ball's going to go over my head or someone's going to shoot a three. I'm the, This is doing nothing. I'm just standing here, and I can't do anything to get out of it. It doesn't matter how high I jump. It doesn't matter how fast I recover. Uh, it doesn't matter how quickly I try to close out that shooter. I, I'm not going to get there. I'm just in the middle. And I can't do anything. And I felt like more often than not this season, that's what this Bucks team, both offensively and defensively, went to. So, like, I to go back to how this originally got brought up, like, I understand where Eric's coming from and saying, man, this team offensively could be awesome. If they figured out how to use Giannis the right way, like, if they figured out how to put together a cohesive system around him in the way that, you know, Mike D'Antoni found a way to do that with James Harden, like, they, they could be awesome offensively. And then I also understand your point defensively. Like, just be respectable defensively. And there's a big gap there. And, again, I don't know. It, I think, like you said, you'd feel bad if you only got an offensive or defensive coach. You just want to get a good coach that can hopefully bring the level of both of those up. And in doing so, you get an incremental gain and you get to be a better basketball team. So I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting uh, to watch. To finish this out, Steve Clifford was reportedly the guy that was in interviewing today. Um, Steve Clifford is someone who, I got to say, I'm f- interested by how much people seem to gravitate towards Boonholzer and how little they gravitate to Steve Clifford. And I get it because Boonholzer has like the 60 win season and like he's found ways to, you know, kind of win games, but man, like when I pull up uh when I pull up Charlotte in their last 5 years on cleaning the glass like there's blue in some spots where I don't mind seeing some blue if that makes any sense. Like the Bucks have not had any idea how to rebound defensively for the last however many years. Steve Clifford, te- yeah, fifteen years, yeah. yeah. Steve Clifford teams, they do that just fine. That that that's blue. First, 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 third, second, and again, you get some, you get a bump from Dwight Howard. I, I understand that, uh, but that's one year. That's one yeah. year, and the other years they were great at it. And then defensively, also again. Free throw rate, first, 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 or first, first, fourth, eighth, third under Steve Clifford. I've seen the Bucks fall a lot. I did not enjoy that. He does the opposite of that defensively. And then I go to the other side of the ball, and we're talking about do no harm. Turnover rate under Steve Clifford. First, 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 third. That seems pretty cool. Like Those seem like good things that if I'm thinking about how to get the most out of this Bucks team – yeah, don't turn the ball over. Take care of the ball. And then also free throw rate, 14th, 15th, 8th, 6th, 2nd. Getting to the free throw line. Like, that seems like a good thing for Giannis. And through there, there was some years in the top 10 defensively. There were some years in the top 10 offensively. I just feel like when I look at that chart, there's blue there. I like seeing blue uh, on the... And again, if you don't understand what I'm saying, like cleaning the glass, like if it's a blue number, that means you're near the top of the league. If it's a red number, that means you're near the bottom of the, or you're near the flip them, reverse them. First, <laughs> the blue is good. The red is bad. And I'm seeing 
there's a mixture. Don't get me wrong. Like they don't force a lot of turnovers defensively and their offensive rebound rate isn't great. And there were times where the offense wasn't great and the defense was so, so like, but overall, like that to me paints a picture of a pretty damn good coach. And I know the wins weren't necessarily there, but when you think about that Charlotte team, do you feel like the wins should have been there? I don't know. So I, I don't know where are you at on Steve Clifford because I feel like there's a much more negative perception of him than than maybe I would have expected. Yeah, I mean, he. I think the problem with with Charlotte is like there was never sort of the like hang your hat on that season. Like, oh, yeah. that was the season that that the Hornets were awesome. Um, did did the Hornets ever make it out of the first round with him? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean that's obviously uh, a, sure. a red flag. Like the fact that they've never. I mean, well, I'm just I'm just looking up his his name. So his best season was 48, and uh, oh, they looks like they had one year where. Oh no no, no I'm sorry. Um, they won three games in the playoffs in five years. Yep. So I think that's why people aren't that excited about Steve Clifford. They had the one year where they won 48 games. But also, like two, he didn't have his team. They had a lot of injuries. He didn't have teams as good as the Hawks. There wasn't as much no. talent there, like not even close. Like that sixty-one no, Hawks not. team, like no, no. But I mean, again, like you know that the Hawks made it to the second round of the playoffs, I think, or past the first round, I think a couple times. Is that right? Um, you know, and ultimately, it's just like, all right, well, you were, you know, had a two winning seasons out of five with with Charlotte, and weren't great teams, but um, you know, he did pretty okay with what he had, but. I think it was also just, I mean, they didn't get better, you know, like it, it seemed like whatever and not that people didn't like him, but it just seemed like whatever message he had, whatever schemes he had, like they worked not as well at the end as they did at the beginning. Right. And I think part of that is also just the nature of the league changing his defense emphasized taking away shots at the rim, I think. And, you know, they were generally good, very good at top 10 in terms of frequency of shots, at the rim, but they got crushed the last couple of years by number of three-point attempts and overall they were in the bottom third in um in three-pointers allowed the last three years or at least in terms of proportion of threes allowed um they were you know and again three-point opponent percentage can be deceiving um and be, can be pretty random they were bad in that department the last couple of years so that, that might be a little bit of bad luck but um again i don't know I, clifford was a guy who you know again he's from the van gundy school of defense um, and uh, kind of like Stan, who got released today. You know, Stan. I think they were. I think the Pistons were tenth in defense this year, but um, you know, they also didn't have a ton of talent, but couldn't also coax sort of like elite defense out of that uh, out of that roster. And in Charlotte, I mean, you know, they they not only were not elite. I mean, they were a little below average the last two years in terms of defense. So, uh, ironically, um, they ended up being above average offensively the last three years and the last two years were below average defensively so i don't know again it's like does does steve clifford have a formula for winning defensively in the nba at this point the last couple years it hasn't been the case um and again like you know i think his x's and o's are pretty strong i mean i think dean our friend dean money had actually said that he i want to say i think he said that he thought clifford might be the best X's and O's guy in the league, which mm-hmm. again, I, I don't know enough about Steve Clifford to make that kind of statement. I think that probably would be 
um, you know, somewhat controversial given just the, a lot of the other guys that are out there, like the you know Brad Stevens first and foremost. But so, um, like something's I'm, not translating, obviously. And and again, I think ultimately it's it's kind of tough, and especially as you mentioned the other day. I mean, he had to take time off this this year because of basically not being healthy, and that's also obviously a concern with with a coach. You you want the guy to to be able to you know figure out and, and live a balanced enough lifestyle that he doesn't have to miss games. But like when I look at Bud and I look at his defense and I look at the frequency, there's a lot of red at the three point line. Like, yeah, but they were they were good defenses though the last uh, until this year, right? Like this year obviously they were rebuilding, but previously I mean they were generally I mean generally his defenses were better than than Clifford's, right? I so yeah. Uh, but I'm like there was three top ten years for Clifford's defenses, yeah. And I, I I would assume that's probably comparable to Bud's. Like I don't know. Like I I just think there's there's a level of leeway given to to Budenholzer that I don't know is given Clifford. And again, maybe it's earned. Maybe you get a sixty win team and you find that year together and you deserve that. But I got, I don't I don't know that Clifford ever had an Al Horford. I don't know if he ever had a Paul Millsap. I think the the I don't know. It, it it's all just very interesting to me because I think we, as everyone kind of starts to talk about someone in this coaching kind of search, I think everyone just kind of gets like set in their ways. Like Bud's good at this, and he's the safe option. And I don't know. Like I, and ironically enough, as I'm looking at cleaning the glass, I'm seeing literal red flags um, because it's in red. But man, like just all the corner threes, like that to me is scary and i understand that it ended up working out for them defensively a number of these years but also it, it could go the other way um yeah so- well and i think fundamentally i don't think i don't think bud or clifford i mean again i'd be fascinated what they'd say and say in their interviews but i don't know if either of these guys are going to come in and bring that super switchy style of defense that I think a lot of Bucks fans yeah. would probably want to see, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. fundamentally, that has not been how, I mean, either both these guys sort of did different things, but that's not really what either of these guys sort of kind of, I don't know, like, and again, like, it's not what with they hang Horford their hats and, on. With, yeah, with Horford and Millsap, they could have switched a lot more, but um, that's not like core to their kind of ethos, right? Like, yep. they're not doing what the Rockets do right now where they're switching like one through five and, and that kind of stuff. And, and maybe, maybe they would do it differently um, yeah. if in, in Milwaukee, but we don't know that. And as you said, I mean, you know, Budenholzer, I mean, the last three years, his offenses were bottom third, you know, Clifford had good, pretty good offenses actually. Um, you know, does that mean he's Clifford's a much better <laughs> offensive coach? I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the, I, I, but I, Ziller, I, think I just can't keep that. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. But I think the other um, the other interesting thing is probably the other thing I, that I think has probably gotten a lot of people kind of in the Budenholzer camp is just that there's – and again, f- whether this is like a transferable thing, whether this was luck, whatever it might have been, um, you know, the whole Hawks University thing like I think is something that, that has resonated with people. And, and again, this idea of being able to develop young players, maximize role players um, – that certainly is is something that I think Atlanta generally did did well. Uh, and uh, again, I don't know if I don't know if the the Hornets were like particularly bad at that. But you know, when you kind of look at that roster, Tim um, Walker seemed to get better. 
Kemba got better for sure, but Marvin you know, pretty Williams much over- seemed to get better. Yeah, I mean, certainly from a role player standpoint, Marvin probably found his best role. But I don't know, like who else got drafted who actually like really developed into like a good NBA player? Like Kaminsky's been okay. Malik Monk, obviously, kind of like you know, is a rookie, super young, but I think you know nobody's like thrilled with the Malik Monk pick right now. He did have some moments at the end of the season. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. You know, I mean, MKG never really went anywhere. Jump shot still broken. Um, but uh, I mean, I don't know if you could fix that. Well, but they didn't. So I mean, he was a number two overall pick, and you know, he's pretty much not developed at all over the last what three four years. So I would feel uncomfortable uh, blaming anyone for MKG not developing a ju- jump shot. Blame Mark Price's shot doctor. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, but, I don't but, know. Anyway, you know I mean? I like that's why but, I just. But say, I think that's that, totally fair. Like 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 if if Steve Clifford gets picked, a lot of people are going to lose their minds. And, you know, again, I, I, I agree, like, is there a massive difference and a massive gulf in terms of expected outcomes between Steve Clifford and Mike Budenholzer? Probably not. Yeah. You know, they're both competent NBA coaches who I don't think are going to lose a team. Um, but we also, I, I don't, again, I don't know that either one would be a lock to do the things that maybe we being the uh, all-knowing, you know, <laughs> galactic yeah. uh, brain or galaxy brain. What is the, the yeah, thing? Ga- we'd be uh, the galaxy brain, yeah. We'd uh, the galaxy brain of, of Bucks fans that you know we all know exactly how the Bucks should play. I, I don't know if I don't know if that those guys or anybody else is going to come in and do exactly what we want, but yeah, we'll see. I again would love to be a fly on the wall of those interviews <laughs> to know what people are saying that they do. Oh man, it's it's so interesting to me. Um, Okay, I think we should be good. Um, my my main uh, my main thought for for the for the day challenge perception like it, mm. it, like that would be my main thought. Like, don't just get caught up in thinking you know exactly what these coaches are. Like, dig in a little bit and and think about it. Like that that would be, that to me is the one thing I think I've found most interesting um, as we've gone through this coaching search. Like, a name gets talked about and then that person's good or bad. And kind of Eric and my, our goal in doing the coaching pod was to think more about these people, to do more research. And I think that would be helpful even with the, with the coaches that we believe we know, the, the guys that were former coaches. And again, who knows who the Bucks pick in the end. But um, I just feel like as we have these conversations, like think through all of that stuff. And I think it makes for better and more fun uh, conversations. So that, that's what I'll leave you with for the for today. All right. That's going to be it for us. We're going to do this all again tomorrow. I'm sure there's going to be another coach in the interview. Uh, we're going to talk about that coach and uh, our challenge our perceptions and how on little, that coach. And how little we really know about that coach. <laughs> we're going to do all of that again tomorrow and then the next day and probably the next day as well. And then we'll take a short break for the weekend and then we'll do it on Monday. So uh, we'll, we'll keep doing it. We'll keep plugging away at it. Hopefully you'll keep listening. We always appreciate that you do. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll see you tomorrow.